Hello and welcome to another episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. It's the show where we tackle the bizarre, the unexplained, and the unbelievable and try to find an answer. I'm the titular Sean. And I'm the very titular Carrie. And what are we talking about today, Carrie? Today, we are talking about the lost colony at Roanoke. Yes, I love it. This is, um, you know, not many of the stories we're going to tackle on this uh, uh, podcast did I have covered in like grade school history <laughs> uh, very briefly. You know, there was no D.B. Cooper Day. Um, in, in... <laughs> Which is a real shame. Yeah, absolutely it is. Um, <laughs> but yeah, when you learn like early settlement of the U.S., yeah, everybody had some mention of Roanoke, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Roanoke, as I remember it, was kind of a blip on the radar of my grade school learning. I remember learning about the Revolutionary War like back in fourth grade, I think is when we started it. And I was just so fascinated with the idea of having to build a country and um, and how we got started. Because you're kind of raised with this very patriotic view of America where you're doing the Pledge of Allegiance every day Mm -hmm. and July 4th is exciting for a kid. Of course, it's exciting for me. Yeah, I think a lot of kids are very, a lot of kids in good situations are very like rah-rah American as they're, you know, young growing up. Well, yeah, and and I, I bet it was even more that way. For us in grade school than it is now, and I bet it was more for our parents, obviously, than yeah. it was for us and, and for their parents, etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I remember that and just being really interested in how we became what we are, like, because we're pretty recent on the scene when it comes to countries, and yet we're so powerful. So I was always interested in how that started. Um and as you know, or as I hope you know, since we're getting married, I have kind of a, a very niche fascination with like that colonial era of America, yeah. especially pre-revolution. I just think the stories of the people who came to America searching for something more, basically on a wing and a prayer, are just so fascinating. Yeah, they're frontier stories. Right. Just like Western frontier stories, but, you know, instead of in the West, they're, you know, the, the frontier is the, the first steps people are taking in a, like, totally unfamiliar, scary continent. Yeah, I think maybe I relate to it more because we're from this area rather than something mm-hmm. like the Oregon Trail, which I do find really fascinating. It seems so much further away. Give people the, just in case they don't remember it from grade school, give people the absolute most broad strokes. What's this story? Yes. So the Lost Colony of Roanoke. I guess that that tells you right there. (laughs) Yeah. Where did they go? Um, It started out kind of as a legend discussed over revolutionary era campfires while like George Washington was polishing his wooden teeth in the tent. I know he didn't have wooden More teeth. More likely animal bone dentures. Bone teeth. Okay, his bone teeth in the tent. And then when you're learning about colonial America, you usually start kind of with like the pilgrims coming over, the Mayflower, Plymouth Rock. Um, they're hanging out with the Native Americans, eating turkey and corn. Everything is very happy. It's a very grade school way of learning about Sure, America. Squanto. Squanto. Yeah. Was his name Squanto? Wasn't that Squanto? I don't know. I think it's Squanto. That's <laughs> <Yeah>, Squanto. <laughs> he's, he's fun. He's sweet. Um, of course, the stories of those who did 
come from England usually involved a lot more smallpox blankets and genocide mm. rather than, you know, kumbayaing over some cranberry sauce. We're trading beads for Manhattan and making some treaties we're going to break. Mm-hmm. But I think the perception of myself as a kid and probably most kids was that America started as like a thing in the 1600s, but the English themselves tried to populate this country going back into the 1500s. And there were several different colonies that they tried to establish before they kind of made leeway with Jamestown. And one of these is the colony of Roanoke. So, Sean, what do you know about Roanoke? What I know, this won't be spoilers, what I know is that um, sometime in the 1500s, one of the very early English attempts um, was the uh, the Roanoke uh, colony. I know that uh, some folks left to go back and get some supplies because they were having a really rough time. A lot of colonies had a really rough time uh, getting off the ground in early New England. Um, they weren't in New England. They were in Virginia. Ish. In the new I world. I mean, it, it's, it's a few different places now because states are different. Right. In the new world, generally, people had a really uh, tough time uh, coming over from England, Europe mm-hmm. in general, and making it. So... Um, they were like, we're fucking dying here. They sent some <laughs> folks back to England, I think, to get more supplies. And when those people came back, uh, the entire colony, every man, woman, and child had vanished except for the word Croatoan, tar- uh, carved into a tree. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically the gist of it. Um, I think everyone knows vaguely about Roanoke if you have kind of that American education it's the best it's a cryptic mystery right a whole colony disappeared and i don't think we went into it enough in school for how interesting it is but people like stephen king have written about it you have the show supernatural there's a whole uh season of american horror story Mm kind of took place around there and really played fast and loose with the history but you know yeah um so horror has always been drawn to this story for the same reasons that I think we have. They inserted a Texas Chainsaw Massacre style, like, murder hillbilly family in, into the uh, Roanoke there story. Was, yeah, there were ghosts. <laughs> and Cuba Gooding. Right. You know, uh, just a whole other thing there. So, yeah, it's it's terrifying. It's fascinating. It is very mysterious. You're talking about American Horror Story? Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> <laughs> the best. No, uh, the the story of Roanoke. Yes. So let's get into it. Now it's hard to believe, but there was a time where much of the world was unknown, uh, unexplored, uncharted territory. There was just thousand miles of land that no one knew what it was. No white people. Well, of course, I cannot stress enough there were native people on these lands that had the right to own and occupy these lands. But as far as I know, they also were an unknown quantity to most of the world at large. And their civilizations uh, didn't exist in detail on any map. So we're going to start the story of Roanoke back a ways, so not quite where that begins but we're going to start in 1524 okay with uh giovanni da veranzano oh getting fancy with the pronunciations caroline well he is a new yorker and a new york italian mm-hmm. 
So he loved a pizza pie. <laughs> He's an honorary New Yorker. He's got a bridge named after him, so that's close enough. Um, he was exploring the Outer Banks of what is now South Carolina, and he mistakenly thought that he may have found a shortcut to Ming, China, and that what is now the <laughs> oh, Pamlico, no. Pamlico Sound is, was really the Pacific Ocean. So he was a little off. This is the coast of South Carolina. <laughs> a little bit off. Yeah. <laughs> Slightly. But like I said, no one knew how much land was in between any right. of this. No, I love that. So he had sailed like 10 miles inland and he got to a lake and was like, here like, we are. Oh, like I'm here. Side. Yeah, that was quick. Uh, no, that that was just um, just a, a bay, basically. So he let King Francis the first of of France and King Henry VIII know, but I guess Francis was like, meh, and King Henry VIII was like, where's Anne? I want to chop someone's head off, mm-hmm. and they didn't really uh, pursue it at all. Henry's like, I want to chop some some heads off, and <laughs> like, I want to fuck. Basically, and who doesn't, honestly? You found the new what? Get out of here. <laughs> the Pacific? Um, so Henry's daughter, who we know as Queen Elizabeth I, granted a charter to Sir Walter Raleigh for a patent, which is basically like the rights to all lands south of Newfoundland, despite those lands kind of having been claimed by Spain already. They had sort of settlements around more of like the Florida area. Um, I think those are the oldest settlements that you'll find in America that aren't from England. So... There's a lot of that in the colonial period, I guess. Just stuff that yeah. uh, people people like, already well, own that's like, you can have that. I'm going or... to take that. I'm, that's mine now. So Elizabeth, I guess, had probably heard about this area and was like, yeah, Sir Walter Raleigh, you can figure that shit out. Um, so the charter just that... probably seemed like a... You know when somebody gives you a gift that really just seems like a chore? Yes. It's like, oh, this is a real fixer-upper. <laughs> yes. Thanks for the exercise bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's basically one of those. But he was psyched because he had a bunch of land that was under his name. But the charter stated that he had to establish a colony there by 1591 or lose his right to colonization. So the clock was ticking on him. Now, making things even more difficult, Raleigh was also forbidden by Elizabeth to leave her side. Because he was one of her favorites. I'm getting mixed signals. Yes. So he had to accomplish exploring and colonizing this land outside of England while also never leaving England. Or he loses his rights to the land. And, you know, ostensibly whatever on it that you can sell, like timber and all that stuff. What a quirky dramedy this would be. It's very interesting. Very like the great vibes. Just a lot of people doing things on whims and not realizing the gravity of their actions. Yeah, maybe this could be like Mel Gibson's next attempt to rehab his image. He's Sir Walter Raleigh in this. <laughs> well, you're just thinking of John Smith. I think you're associating him with colonial America. Uh, no, I just think it could take on the tone of like a The Beaver, where, where, oh, he, where the Mel, classic Mel comes tone back of to the try beaver. to warm, warm our hearts. <laughs> well... He arranged an expedition, not Mel Gibson, Walter Raleigh. Fair enough. Uh, And this expedition departed England in April of 1584. On July 4th of all days, now this is the first time it pops up in American history, the two ships on the expedition spotted land at what's now called Cape Fear. 
Mm. So it's a little bit of foreshadowing. They made landfall on the 13th. They established relations with the Sec... Sec I'm not sure if it's Sec Secotan or Secotan tribe. Okay. I'm not either. Uh, they were the, the ones that lived in the area. And then just pieced out back to England with the news. Like, okay, cool. We got the lay of the land, whatever. Elizabeth's like, sweet. So she... Uh, knighted Sir Walter Raleigh in 1585 and proclaimed that the land granted to him was would be Virginia. Okay. So in case there's someone out there who doesn't know, the name Virginia almost certainly comes from Elizabeth's title as the Virgin Queen. Oh, so she's like, Walter already, uh, Walter already took care of that. So let's call something else the Virgin for a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of wondering of, uh, her status in, in those situations, but America's. Specifically regarding Walter Raleigh? Um, regarding a lot of her favorites. Oh, yeah. A lot of brawny, Mel Gibson-y men. Lady like to get it. Or did she? We don't know. Because she loved calling herself a Virgin. Well, okay, I'm sure a lot of people do. <laughs> well, anyway, America's oldest state is named for an old British lady's intact hymen. <laughs> so, fun fact. <laughs> now, the first colony to ash actually be established in the Wait, area. So, Virginia is not for lovers. No, it's for virgins. Okay. <laughs> Initially, I guess. Um, the first colony established in the area was the Lane Colony. So I'll try to sum this up quickly because it's not quite as fascinating as Roanoke, but it sort of gives a lot of intro. Yeah. So several ships attempted the trip from England to the area that was previously discovered, and only a couple ended up making landfall. Now they had a lot less provisions because the trip over the ocean was really, really frightening and intense. The weather was terrible, usually. So only a couple uh, ships made it there. Here's my question. That is the story of every crossing of the Atlantic from this time mm -hmm. that I've ever heard of. Yeah. So. Why do they keep doing it? No. <laughs> no, but like, surely you'd start to get more prepared as time went on. You'd bring more ships. And I think ships, they did. Because you know it's going to take you longer. I think they did, but you know, boats would get lost. They would sink. Um some ships, which we will see, ended up in like completely different places. Mm. So you can't always plan for that. You know, that can't always be on the to-do list because a lot of these things are just acts of God. And it is a vengeful and angry God in this story. He's very Old Testament in the 1500s. <laughs> That's just because we haven't shielded ourselves properly from him yet. Basically. Uh, um. Yeah, okay. I'm just, just bring a compass and a raincoat. That's all I'm saying. Well, I'm sure they did, but a compass and a raincoat is not going to feed you through a starving time, as they would call them. So, several ships attempted the trip. Only a couple made landfall. And most of the colonists on the expedition had been hoping to find gold or silver. Uh, a lot of, I think all of them were men. So they were basically trying to provide for their families, find new riches. Uh, and they found like jack shit, basically, in the way of valuables that they knew that were valuable. That You're describing the plot of Pocahontas. <sighs> uh, yeah, this is, this is a little pre-Pocahontas, but around that time. So they decided that the mission was a waste of time. 
Um, there were hostilities with the local tribes. There were food shortages. And many of the colonists finally evacuated with Sir Francis Drake. And they did bring new crops of tobacco, corn, and potatoes back to England. So we have the Lane Colony to thank for cancer, I guess. Lung cancer. Because <laughs> that they there was no tobacco until this time. This is the first time tobacco ever reaches Europe? As far as I know. Yeah. So they brought these crops back. Dope. And the rest that stayed there were eventually attacked by mainland tribes, which left only like 13 survivors who fled the area but were never seen again. That's a trend in this story. Just people, groups of people who were never seen again? Yes. And speaking of that, let's talk about the Lost Colony. Yes. So Raleigh was undeterred by the desertion of the Lane Colony. So he sent John White as governor and 115 other people to create a new colony in the same area. Um, now, this was interesting because it was the first colony that included women and children. Before it was just like men, a lot of soldier types, a lot of explorer types. Now they're trying to actually, you need women and children to settle a place. You need people to be born and you know new people to arrive and things like that so this is the first time they're really trying that out they yeah. landed at croatoan island now remember that name oh on july 22nd 1587 and then settled in on roanoke island a few days later it's croatoan an indian name yes that's named for the croatan tribe and there was some initial tensions with this tribe being the local tribe but the colonists decided to stay, though they did plan on relocating 50 miles up the Albemarle Sound. Was that to get further away from the natives? I think so. I think it was still a little tense. And they just wanted more space where they're not kind of encroaching on these other people. Do we know what the tensions looked like? Uh, yeah, we know some of it. Uh, I will get there. Oh. Shortly. So at this point, they proclaim the settlement Roanoke. Um, so shortly after John White's daughter, now John White's the governor, Eleanor gave birth to the first English child born in North America. She Ooh. was named Virginia Dare. This is also a awesome. name we might know from our grade school days. White was persuaded to return to England to beg for help and supplies, which he did in August 1587. So they were not in a good way. It just seemed like no matter what, they would lose a lot of supplies on the journey, and no one really knew how to grow things in America yet. Well, it's so this journey sucked the first time, and yes. you were coming from England, where you, which was home and had all the warm clothes mm -hmm. and food and stuff. So now and he's going back to England to beg for more of that. Having spent six months or whatever starving, and oh, by the way, we can't grow anything to to provision ourselves with for the boat ride yeah it was tough it wasn't great um he only left with like a couple other people basically as as few as he could take with him mm -hmm. so this is like a dire straits colonies just going to starve to death we might not even make it to england but we gotta set out on this desperate journey kind of thing yeah, and back in the day, you have to remember, there's no postal service. There's no way to contact England except for 
taking a boat over there so why not go yourself and be able to argue your case to the queen in person rather than sending a letter and hoping for the best which is what he did he he wanted to go and talk to her face to face and get some additional support yeah plus i don't want to get out of roanoke too it sounds like it sucks (laughs) exactly so he leaves in august he gets to england finally in november so it's a rough journey but there's a problem Queen Elizabeth was not letting any ship leave England at this point because she was trying to bolster their fleet for an upcoming attack by the Spanish Armada. So he gets to England and he's like, we need help. Like, this is an emergency. And Liz is like, "Mm, sorry, we need your boat. So you have to stay here till this is done. By my side, remember? (laughs) No, this is is John White. Rally's been by her side. (laughs) So... He gets there in November. He's finally able to leave in April of 1588. So that's like five months, six months later. But the supply ships heading back were attacked in May by French pirates who looted the ships and forced their return to England yet again. Okay. So they didn't make it past the water. Right. Because of continuing naval battles with Spain, White wasn't able to obtain permission to make another attempt to bring resupply ships to Roanoke until 1590. Whoa, wait. So how long? This is years after he was expected back. They were hoping he'd be back within six months. Right. When did he leave? He left in August 1587. So it's like three years. Right. And he's not... um, He's not... Allow like able to send any kind of communication, right? Saying, "Hey guys, I'm coming. It's all good. Like, don't freak out." There's no way for a letter to make it to Roanoke. He had no way to tell the colonists who were waiting for him already desperate years ago that he would be back as soon as he could. And this is a group of women and children with no food and no way to grow new food and angry neighbors. There were some men. I mean, it was a mixed group, uh, like Eleanor Dare, Eleanor White Dare's husband was with them still. Um, but yeah, they didn't know how to grow things. Like they didn't know the best ways to grow corn and potatoes and things like that. This was a new terrain for them. They're not used to it. And we'll get into it, but it was a really, really terrible time for growing in general. Okay. So White finally lands back on Croatoan Island on August the 12th of 1590. And when he does, he spots plumes of smoke rising from Roanoke Island a few days later. Great. I guess they're throwing a party for me. <laughs> That's kind of what they thought. Uh, oh, guys, they're, look, they're having a pig roast. <laughs> yeah, he hopes so, right? A few more days after that, him and his crew attempts different crossings of the treacherous Pamlico Sound, abandoning those crossings at the same time because the weather's terrible. They eventually spend the night of August 17th in their boats with a plan to row ashore in the morning. So that evening, they sang English songs in hopes the colonists on Roanoke would hear them coming, which is just so fucking sad when you know what's about to happen. Yeah, they're, they're having their little like Jaws scene. Yeah, but they're basically like trying to sing loud enough so the colonists know that help is on the way. Yeah, and... just a morale boost. Yeah. So on the 18th, which is also Virginia Dare's third birthday, the landing party made it onto land. 
They found fresh tracks in the sand, but could not find... What a a lovely birthday. (laughs) Well, ideally, yeah. They found fresh tracks in the sand, but could not find anyone nearby. Surprise! (laughs) In the area, they also spotted the letters CROW, C-R-O, carved into a tree. On approaching the colony site, White saw that a palisade, which is basically a wooden defensive wall or a fence, had been constructed around the site since he had departed in 1587. Mm -hmm. Near the entrance to the palisade, the word Croatoan was carved into one of the fence posts. Okay. Now, White, at this point, realizing that him and his crew did not see or hear signs of life anywhere on site, figured that the Crow and Croatoan inscriptions meant the colonists had relocated to nearby Croatoan Island. Because before his departure three years ago, the colonists had agreed to leave a quote-unquote secret token indicating their destination if they were forced to move. Well, no-brainer then. Right. And then they were also going to leave a cross pate, pate, P-A-T-T-E-E. Oh, no, thank you. I don't eat liver. <laughs> they were supposed to leave that to signal distress. Now, this kind of cross is one of those uh, emblematic Christian crosses with like the narrower arms and the flared out bottoms. Oh, yeah. And they're, it's more like square shaped. Mm-hmm. So since this wasn't anywhere and the words left were kind of relating to this nearby island, he figured that they were okay and they were on Croatoan. So he searches further in the area and all all of the houses are kind of found dismantled with all the lighter objects and furniture having been taken away. So they're not destroyed, Mm -hmm. but they're not how they were. And he had buried several large trunks filled with just... You know, money, I guess, but also papers and maps and things like that. Those were missing, too. Okay. Sure. Well, if you're going to move to Croatoan Island, do you take all that shit with you? Right. Sure. The colonists' remaining boats were also missing. They had, like, smaller ships, not ones that would probably be equipped to make the journey to England, but smaller ones that they could probably sail around the area with. Those are gone. So White and his crew figured that they would leave for Croatoan Island the following day. But since God apparently hated this entire enterprise, (laughs) one of the anchor cables snapped, leaving him with only one anchorable boat. Oh. So the boat that could still anchor set off for England, while the other told White they could winter in the Caribbean and return in the spring of 1591. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, they couldn't even go check Croto and Island first? I think it was just like a really risky thing to do. I don't know why. It doesn't seem hell? like a good enough reason for me. We don't have time to go down the block. Let's just come back next year. Yeah. That was like 50 miles. I don't know. I, I don't. Uh, again, if it was my family, like, remember, this is his daughter and his granddaughter, yeah. too. Like, it would. I would just walk there. Like, I would not. No, but instead he fucks off to the Caribbean for a year? Well, this also ended up being scuttled because the ship was blown off course to the Portuguese Azores and was again forced to change course for England from there. Wow. Finally arriving back home in October of 1590. At this time, no one had yet gone to Croatoan at all to find the missing colonists. 
John White is like, I am goddamn trapped in England. Why can't this country let me go? Yes. And Sir Walter Raleigh was not helping. He was kind of handling the whole thing pretty dickishly. He eventually made his first transatlantic voyage in 1595. He was able to leave. I think he was busy handling Queen Liz. That's still where I sit on all this. (laughs) So he makes this voyage in 1595, that's five years later, claiming he was searching for the lost colonists. But he later admitted this was a lie to cover up the fact that he was searching for the mythical El Dorado. (laughs) What a doofus. Yeah. On the way back, he sailed right past the Outer Banks, claiming that the weather prevented him from landing. So he didn't even land in the area to, like, take a peek, ask a couple natives. Stop at one of those trashy uh, t-shirt stores down there in in, uh, in, uh, the Outer Banks. Yes. No, he uh, he didn't even stop. He said the weather was bad. So he didn't seem like he tried too hard, but... Eventually, no doubt, due to the fact that the price of sassafras was skyrocketing and he wanted to cash in on that untouched crop in Virginia, Raleigh funded a mission back to the Outer Banks in 1602 to, quote unquote, resume the search for the lost colony. In 1602? Is that over a decade later? Yes. Yes. Resume the search. Remember, John White left in 1587. This is now 1602. Yeah. Yeah. So the ship's manifest for this expedition made it clear that Raleigh really just intended to harvest sassafras far south of Croatoan Island and had no real intention of searching. <laughs> so once again, he didn't go back. Right. And in 1603, Raleigh was arrested for treason against King James, which pretty much put the gabash on his Virginia charter monopoly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, all hope wasn't lost yet. There was one final expedition in 1603 to find the colonists. Now, this is many years after they had been, quote unquote, lost. Bartholomew Gilbert intended to land in Chesapeake Bay, but bad weather again forced his ship to land somewhere else nearby. The entire landing team was killed by a group of Native Americans. And then after that, any remaining crew returned to England empty handed. Huh. Yeah. Now, our boy John Sounds Smith... Sounds like they were lucky if they returned to England handed. Yes. Well, with all the tomahawks and things <laughs> flying around. Yeah, I'm sure. John Smith of Pocahontas fame was captured by the Powhatan tribe, and he learned of a couple of different places near the Jamestown settlement that were reportedly inhabited by men of European dress and featured walled houses, which was more of a European style of architecture. He sent a letter and map with this information back to England. Of course, that map has since been lost. But uh, he also sent two search parties to the areas that he learned about, and they failed to return with any sign of the Roanoke colonists. This is our friend John Smith in the middle of the Pocahontas story. Yeah, he's also doing this other thing. That's fun. That's a little Forrest Gump (laughs) moment. Yes. Uh, By 1609, England believed that Chief Powhatan had ordered the massacre of the colonists, but the source of this allegation is unknown. It's probably just racism. Um, We don't know. That's Pocahontas' dad. Right. A few years after that, English writer William Strachey uh, arrived in Jamestown and soon wrote his book, The History of Travel into Virginia, Britannia 
where he described the rumored European territories in a fashion similar to John Smith and his map. Catchy title. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like a beach read if I ever knew one. He also included additional details about a slaughter at Roanoke, which is interesting. It is very interesting. A slaughter done by whom? Well, Strachey suggests in the book that the lost colonists lived for around 20 years with a tribe beyond the Powhatan territory, only to be attacked by Chief Powhatan shortly before Jamestown was established. So they were there until people could find them, and then they were slaughtered, apparently. And they, but did, did it say living with natives or no? Yes, they were surviving with a tribe beyond the Powhatan territory, so some other tribe. A handful of colonists supposedly survived this massacre and fled upriver to live under the protection of another chieftain named Ionoko. Hmm. So that was the legend that Strachey, Strachey had okay. heard. So after that, we're going to the next decades, basically, the 1600s. Mm-hmm. We don't have much in the way of new stories, Uh, about Roanoke until John Lawson made his way into what's now North Carolina in the early 1700s. So this is a hundred years later. Yeah. Lawson was the first historian to investigate the region since White left for the final time in 1590. And he observed that the Hatteras tribe in the area had been influenced by English culture. Interesting. How? Mm -hmm. Well, some Hatteras had reported that their ancestors, some of their ancestors had been white, with present day tribesfolk uh, having light gray eyes, some of them, and like fairer skin. Interesting. Mm -hmm, Which kind of supports this claim. So Lawson's theory became that the lost colonists of Roanoke had assimilated into this particular community after losing contact with England for several years, and they were lacking food and protection and knowledge of resources, so they were desperate and eventually did get some help. Sort of, They sort of lived a little Stargate moment. <laughs> How so? Well, they were, they're trapped uh, with no way of getting back to their sort of home reality, right? And mm-hmm. they... Um, make friends and assimilate in with the locals. Yeah, I guess it is a Stargate moment, whatever that means. So that's everything that is more contemporary to the period. Until modern day and actual archaeological investigations, the trail just runs cold there. So what do you think so far? You said they were supposed to leave the cross sign if... If um, there was some sort of distress. Yeah, but they didn't do that. No, there and was they, no cross. They What they did carve are English words. Well, they were Native American well, oh, words. Oh, yeah, sorry, but a, a place nearby. Yes, In English that letters. that were known, yeah. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, they wrote, you know, so... Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. The crow is weird to me because that feels like a rushed, like a guy was trying to write Croatoan like we, <laughs> like we all talked about before and then was killed in the massacre or whatever while yeah. meanwhile this other guy finished the job. Um, but then again, the fact that they didn't, you know, you had time to carve this whole word out, but you didn't have time to carve the one thing you agreed you would if you were, you know, being murdered. Exactly. Which would probably be a little easier because it's a cross it's, of some sort. It's a cross. Don't even do the like, fa- don't fancy yeah, it up. Do just it do it cross. cross. Get the idea. Right. A cross. Yeah, thank Sorry. you, Caroline. <laughs> thank you. Um, so yeah, I kind of like the other one. I I think maybe I mean maybe they went to Croatoan Island with another 
group. Maybe that's where they assimilated. Maybe they left the marker behind just in case the English ever did come back for <laughs> them um, without any real hope that they right. will, you know. And it must have been, no matter what happened to them, that time must have been desperate and devastating to think that you were just abandoned. Yeah. So. But then they sort of uh, uh, fall in with the natives. It's like... um we were at the Fram Museum and there's all those like uh, Scandinavian explorers like making friends with um, Inuits and like one of them married one of the Inuit women and like stayed behind in the village mm-hmm. after everyone else left. Yeah. So these these uh, Roanoke colonists might have had their own kind of uh, bigger version of that. Yeah. I mean, it's feasible and it's one of the main theories. Uh, the complication with archaeological evidence is that finds such as jewelry or pottery, things like that, could have easily been left by other colonies in the area. Sure. Or have been the result of trading with the local Native American tribes, which they did constantly. Right. Uh, The most promising find in the area would likely be female remains that were buried in the Christian fashion, which was, I think, having to do with facing the sun or facing away from the sun, something like that. Because the Lane colony only included men, and uh, the women's remains could be dated prior to 1650 and kind of narrow it down. Right, and the natives buried their dead a different way. Yes, but fewer human remains of any kind have been discovered in this area at all. And this well, that's might weird. It is weird. Uh, this might be due to the issue of erosion. Because in just the span of time between 1851 and 1970, so just over 100 years, the northern shore of Roanoke Island lost 928 feet of its shoreline. Now, following the trend backward, it seems clear that large portions of any settlements that were there are likely now underwater. Because a lot of the time, you had maybe one area that's closer to the shore, maybe some more in the woods that are protected but yeah so there's like a shitty atlantis somewhere full of bones <laughs> a shitty atlantis indeed just a wooden palisade and a bunch of bones yeah so it's likely that remains and portions of any settlements that were made on roanoke or croatoan along with artifacts anything like that are probably underwater and can't help point the way anymore so where did they go That's the big question here. What happened to them? That's what I thought you were going to answer. I am. Well, ideally. Okay. (laughs) It's called the Area 51 of colonial history, this this (laughs) story, and it kind of is. Do you have any really weird theories to get into? Well, I'm going to start with, like, normal theories. Maybe we should get into um, our theories, get into what you think. Uh, after we come back from a break ski. Okay. Okay. We're going to take a break. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. 
As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. And we're back. Caroline, we were just going to get into, um, well, you've kind of laid out the whole story very nicely here of the Roanoke Colony um, and its disappearance. Um, Now, why don't you tell me what the hell happened? Well, the first main theory is relating to John Lawson's assertion in the 1700s, which was that the colonists eventually assimilated into one or more nearby Native American tribes. Yeah, these are the ones who were like, oh, yeah, my grandma was white. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, at, at a certain point, they might have felt that they had no hope from hearing of hearing back from England, and the situation was dire, and they maybe appealed to these Native people for help. And maybe some of them were sympathetic. Yeah, I, I totally buy that. According to a 1998 study, 1587 was the single worst growing season in the entire 800-year period spanning (laughs) 1185 to 1984. Boy, that's shit luck. Very specifically, the worst. Very bad luck. Wow. So they land in the one year in 800 years that they should not have landed. By the way, did you know that in the, like... I don't know, in the decades uh, approaching Europeans coming to the Americas, the Americas had just lost 90% of their population to plague? No. 90%, like more than 90%. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. So, like, we, we came and had the remnants of the civilizations that were here. Right. And swept them off the board. Exactly. So... It just was not a good time. It was the worst growing season in centuries. Oh, there was also no one here to help. That's what that's what that ninety percent of everybody being gone means, right? There's there's nobody to help. Yeah. If they want to, that is. So they had little knowledge of how to fend for themselves aside from growing, which they couldn't really do. It seems likely that after a time the colonists could appeal to those around them for survival. So a lot of historians nowadays believe this is the most likely scenario if they did survive past 1587. The present-day Roanoke Terras tribe even identifies as defend- uh, descendants of both the Croat, Croatan, sorry, it's Croatoan island, Croatan people, mm-hmm. and the lost Roanoke colonists by way of the Terras tribe. So they do say our ancestors were these colonists, some of them. Okay. Other tribes that have been put forth as possible destinations for the colonists if they fled include the Lumbee, Katawa, and the Kori. But do they have any people who are like, my great-grandmother was white? I think they each have kind of things where it could point to them. But this is the main tribe that says, we are them. So So that's one. Okay. Assimilation. Hey, listen, if those guys say they're they're Roanoke and nobody else does. I'm, I'm willing to take them at their word. Mm-hmm. Now, theory two. If the colonists lost hope of communicating with England or Wait, even... We have DNA testing. I'm getting there. Oh, sorry. Continue. <laughs> 
if the colonists lost hope of communicating with England or that John White would return, they could have tried to sail back to their motherland with the ship they had left. The shitty one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's shittier. You know, it was it was manageable for the area. It's not supposedly manageable for a transatlantic voyage. Right. Well, we're pretty sure the boat didn't make it back because we would probably know that part of the story. Well, the ship could have easily been lost at sea, and that's why no one knows. The ship was a smaller one. It wouldn't have been large enough to carry all of the Roanoke colonists. Plus, when you're taking into account like food and supplies, they would have had to leave people behind. How many people? So I think it was 115 minus whoever John White had on his crew. So let's just say 100 just to be Mm -hmm. whatever, but it's somewhere around there. So they could have managed to build a second ship, but other colonists still would have had to remain behind because you can't build something that big in that time. So the question remains of what happened to them, even if the other people were lost at sea. I, I think they could have just sent out some of them in a in one of the small boats like to try to get help. Mm-hmm. Last ditch. Another help run goes out, right? Yeah, maybe. Now, theory number three. The colonists didn't leave Virginia, but also didn't survive. So they could have been killed by a nearby tribe, such as the Powhatans, as William Strachey suggested. They could have also been attacked by Spanish for- forces because they had been searching for the rumored English Virginia base since before John White and Co. even arrived. Now, John Smith's uh, uh, when, by the way, who is this guy who he gets, uh, he gets information out of his torturers? <laughs> well, he became friendly with them okay, after he... a time. That's that's the whole story of John Smith and right. Pocahontas and everything. So while he's being interrogated... He kind in, of assimilated to yeah. the tribe after a time. I don't think he was being tortured, but he was he was kind of like a POW in a way. Mm-hmm. And after a while, like they all became friendly. They're chit chat and they're smoking. I, I think he's also trying to <laughs> ugh, I think he's also trying to make some sort of peace and get some more information. So Spanish forces had been trying to find this base since years ago. And they were still kind of looking, though, in like the 16, early 1600s. So they probably weren't the ones to slaughter them because they would have known if they had. Right. There are some lesser theories like that Walter Raleigh actually knew where the colonists ended up. And his sassafras expedition was just picking up what they had harvested themselves in an area called Beachland along the Alligator River. Well, all right. I don't think 10 years later, their harvest is still like sitting there in nice bales. No, like they're still around in this area harvesting. Oh. In this theory, the colony was not truly abandoned until Raleigh died in 1618 with knowledge of their location dying with them. At this point, they would have probably begun to assimilate with the Croatoan people. Um, so it really ends up in the same place that the first theory does. And this is just a conspiracy to corner the sassafras market? Well, on the Raleigh's thing is, uh, part? the thing is he kind of started it because he said he was going to go and like rescue them or look for them. And he really was going to harvest sassafras and didn't try to help. And that's what, cause he liked brewing a nice sarsaparilla soda. What do they need all this sassafras for? I already told you. 
the price in the market had skyrocketed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But why? Because they brought it back to England and everyone was like, this shit's dope. Get more. <laughs> if you rub it between your fingers, it smells like uh, breakfast cereal. <laughs> It was basically that they had limited supplies, so they wanted to go get more, and there was an unlimited crop in Virginia just waiting to be harvested. Mm. And, uh, and yeah, that was, that was the reason why Raleigh went. Is it Fruit Loops that sassafras leaves smell like when you roll them? Anyway. So those are the main three theories. They were assimilated, they tried to leave and failed, or they were massacred. I think little column A, little column B. Okay. Where are you at? Well, we have a couple more recent findings to add a little more fun speculation into the mix. I am excited. The first of these are called the Dare Stones, which involve an interesting story all their own. These stones, or the first one at least, was first reported in 1937 by one Lewis E. Hammond, who had claimed to have found them near the Chowan River, near the state line of what is now Virginia and North Carolina. And what did he find? Well, in 1937, Lewis Hammond dragged a 21-pound stone into Emory University, asking for help interpreting the markings on it. Emory, where my mother uh, did her uh, graduate degree. Really? Yeah. Well, this guy dragged a 20-pound boulder into this <laughs> university building. <laughs> and, you know, giving them some credit, they did offer to help. So they took a look at it. Why did he think there was something uh, out of the ordinary with this boulder? Because it was inscribed with different messages, which he couldn't quite make out. And he thought mm -hmm. it was interesting. He found the stone a few months earlier by the Chowan River, had thrown it in his trunk, forgot about it, and then was apparently passing the university and was like, oh, these guys are smart. Let's, let's show it to them. I think this is some weird tribal language. It says, <laughs> Kilroy was here. <laughs> a group of Emory professors traveled with Hammond to where he said he'd found the stone, and he couldn't point out the exact location because it was just along the river. Uh, he, the prof professors were convinced after this trip that he was at least legit when it came to his story of finding it. So the initial stone that he brought in was inscribed on both sides. Do you want to hear the whole inscription? Yes. Okay. Of course I do. So one side says, Ananias Dare and Virginia went to heaven 1591. So the rest of this is going to be kind of translated roughly into modern English. Virgin because... Virginia Dare is a little girl. Mm-hmm. So this is what the other side says. Any Englishman show this rock to John White, governor of Virginia. Father, soon after you go for England, we came here. Only misery and war for two years. Above half dead these two years, more from sickness, being 24. A savage, sorry, with a message of a ship came, came to us. Within a small space of time, they became frightened of revenge and ran all away. We believe it was not you. Soon after, the savages, sorry, said spirits were angry. Suddenly they murdered all save seven. My child and Ananias too, her husband, were slain with much misery. Buried all near four miles east of this river upon a small hill. 
Names were written all there on a rock. Put this there also. If a savage, sorry, shows this to you, <laughs> we promised you would give them great plenty presents. E-W-D. What do you think the E-W-D stands for at the bottom? Well, uh, must be a character in this story whose name is Dare. Most thought that it was Eleanor White Dare. Yep. John White's daughter and mother of Virginia. So this stone altogether basically claims that Virginia and Eleanor's husband, Ananias, were killed in a massacre by a nearby tribe that also took the lives of all but seven of the colonists, uh, and including Eleanor, who survived. The colonists relocated, and Eleanor left this inscribed stones somewhere, hoping for her father to find it, maybe, and know their fate. It almost sounded, did it almost sound to you like they were living happily with this tribe, and then the tribe was like, well, this, now the spirits are angry, you have to be killed? Yeah, it's very interesting, because at one point, it says, so, more than half of them died. Um, right, it said two years from of like war, it said war, too, right? Yes, only misery and war for two years. So they spent two years already fighting the neighbors. Yeah, they were probably miserable and uh, starving and fighting half dead these two years more from sickness. So there was at least like 50 of them just dead from all of these factors. Then a native came to them with a message of a ship and they became frightened of revenge, probably because of the warring that had been going on, and ran away. Then they said that the spirits were angry and murdered all suddenly, save seven of them. Is basically what the rock says. Oh, well, it's pretty. It's pretty grim. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. not. They're not living their Stargate fantasy. No, <laughs> whatever that is. <laughs> So, I called these the Dare Stones at the top, not just the one stone. There were a total of 48 stones. What? (laughs) Nearly all of which contain inscriptions from lost colonist Eleanor Dare to her father, John White. Were they all on boulders? They're all on stones. Were they big like that? They were all different sizes. Some were, were like long and skinny. Some were short and fat. They were long skinnies. They were long skinnies. You yeah. hate long skinnies. I do. I don't like it. Um, so these stones set off like a media circus, Are they starting the with message? the first one. I'm getting there. <laughs> so through this, these 48 stones, we we kind of see a narrative spanning the time from 1591 to 1603 which claims that the colonists migrated at that time from Roanoke to near what is now present-day Atlanta, Georgia. So we start with the first one found by Hammond in 1937. Now, this original dare stone is the only one whose validity remains inconclusive. Scientists could not find any reason to think it was fake, but they also take it with a large grain of salt. The original? Yes, this the one that I read that whole inscription on. Okay. So to try and discover corroborating evidence in the guise of another stone, a reward of $500 was offered to the local community. Several different people came forward with similar stones. After this point, in areas around Georgia and South Carolina, which eventually totaled 48. These other stones, so the 
47 other stones, were eventually declared fraudulent by an article in the Saturday Evening Post in 1941 due to a combination of factors like suspicions about those who had found them. Mm-hmm. Some of the words in the stones were not thought to be ex- in existence yet in 1590. Uh-huh. It's like how uh, uh, our friend Tony says that uh, he hates uh, the characters in Stranger Things calling each other bitch. He's like, men didn't call each other bitch in 1986. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like, I don't know if it's all slang type things, but yeah, like just ways of talking that just didn't exist at the time. Or there's no other... Uh, written down version of that word being used in that way at the time. And there was eventually a blackmail plot by one of the finders named Bill Eberhardt threatening to reveal the stones were forgeries. So he had apparently forged them and then was like, I'm going to make your university look bad by revealing that, that I forged I'm them. a liar. Yes. All right, dude. So all of these were written off, basically, because of all of these different factors. And most of those stones had some relationship to Bill Eberhardt, whether it was through him directly or through someone who, like, was proven to know him or, you know. The original stone guy. No, the guy I just mentioned. Oh. It was the last sentence I said. So those were discarded, basically. But what about the original, you may ask? I may, and I will. Carrie, what about the original? (laughs) Multiple studies, including in 1983 and the most recent in 2016, Mm -hmm. were inconclusive. As it stands now, the original Dare Stone is the only piece of unproven, undisproven archaeological evidence about what happened to the Roanoke colony before 1591. It's interesting, and it's the most interesting because nobody made money off of it. No. I, I mean, you know, he might have gotten money from, like, or like people wanting to re- interview him and stuff like that, you know, but you're not getting rich off of this story. It's kind of like someone who says they were abducted. <laughs> There's no way to prove it or disprove it. They might make some money off of the con scene, but uh, they're not making a living this way. No, and everybody thinks they're a freak now. <laughs> exactly. I don't think they thought Hammond was a freak, but he didn't necessarily have any reason to just come up with this yeah what year was that 1937 oh okay so that wasn't recent no but the most recent study in 2016 Mm -hmm. still couldn't prove or disprove the truth behind the stone right i guess how would you how would you do that well you could date it somehow um Mm. There was some concern over some of the words used in the stone, but other people said that, no, it's fine. Like, there were other other recorded Oh, yeah, the time, first recorded like, use of YOLO was in 1511, <laughs> so... Well, it was kind of like one of those things. Different academics in different fields have different perspectives. One guy with, like an expertise in medieval English or whatever feels this way, but one guy with expertise in whatever feels this way. Well, it's a nice uh, period on the sentence, for sure. Yeah. So there is one more more minor finding that kind of adds a little extra mystery to the story, if it is even part of the story. A little zhuzh for you? A little zhuzh. So on a terrace island in Dare County, North Carolina, there is a southern live oak tree that bears the carving Cora, C-O-R-A, in its bark. Okay. The Not tr- Croa. 
No, Cora. Shit, I gotta start over. <laughs> Basically. This tree has been the subject of local legends for years, um, and you could do like a whole episode on just the legends surrounding this tree. I think there's a great episode of lore that goes into um, the backstory of these legends. So this includes that there is a there was a witch named Cora. Okay. And uh, this legend was included in a 1989 book by Charles Wedby. In 2006, Scott Dawson proposed that the Cora tree might represent another message left by the colonists, like the Croatoan and Crow inscriptions John White found at Roanoke. He felt that Cora may be a reference to the Cori tribe and may indicate that the Roanoke colonists eventually integrated with the tribe once their situation got dire. There was a 2009 study on the tree but that also proved inconclusive due to extensive damage to the tree, preventing tree ring dating and further understanding of the Cora inscription itself. The tree looks old enough to be from the time, but they can't prove it. Mm. So that's really it. There are crazy theories. They were all abducted. They were all killed by some sort of Cthulhu monster. I mean... It's ripe for horror stories because, of course, it's it's a fun thing to speculate on. Are there any good horror movies about Roanoke? I don't know of any specific movies, but there, like I mentioned earlier, there's American Horror Story. There's um, some stuff in Supernatural. I think they mention it in that Marvel graphic novel 1602 that there's some relation to Roanoke there. I think yep. Virginia yep. Dare's yep. a character in that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and uh, and then there's a, a Stephen King book or story that includes little plot lines from it, but mm. that's really it. Um, so yeah, that so that's kind of all we have. We have those three main theories. We have a couple of interesting findings, but nothing too crazy, and that's where Roanoke leaves us. What do you think about the Dare Stone? The original I find really interesting because I don't see why someone would just make that up. I mean, you're you're doing a lot for very little gain. It's a lot of carving. It's a very big rock. And I feel like you have to be kind of in the know to like make that carving because the original English is so old-timey and hasn't been disproven. And you would have to know to carve it with something... Where it would look authentic, where it would look like it wasn't carved with modern tools. Exactly. And I kind of find it believable that this guy found it in the summer, threw it in his trunk because it was interesting, forgot about it, and then found it like months later. That seems like a very dude thing to do. Yeah, could could be gilding the lily a little bit on trying to make himself look credible. Yeah. Oh, oh shit, you know what? I forgot this was back here. Look, it's just it's just a little dare stone. Just reveals the <laughs> mystery of Roanoke. Yeah, I mean, it seems, it seems so crazy to me. Is to... the word Roanoke in that stone at all? Mm, no. Also, okay, so in that scenario, they killed all but seven. She's one of the ones they didn't kill. Mm-hmm. And then what? Well, the other dare stones claimed to explain that. But if we're disregarding those, this is basically just saying here is where they're buried. You'll find another rock with their names on it. Put this rock there, too. 
talk to you later. They don't say where they're going or anything like that. And so ostensibly, you might find uh, upon a small hill the remains of the people that were killed and also this other rock with other carvings. But all it says is four miles east of this river. So there is limitless places to look. Right. And how was she measuring her distances even? Yeah, it was just probably by sight. So... Yeah, I don't know what to think of the Darestone. I think it's really interesting. It hasn't been disproven even as recently as 2016 with mm. all the extensive dating we have now. I know that there, as you mentioned before, there have been DNA tests on certain people. Those also have been in- inconclusive. How? Um, I don't know. There's ways European DNA can get into your... Yeah, I, there. there's no like specific way to trace it back. And I guess it's also so far back that it's even harder yeah over there the is course someone of hun- like hundreds of years of colonizing right there is someone that is you know doing dna tests as time goes on with more and more people but she hasn't found anything specific yet pointing to the roanoke colonists mm-hmm. so i think it's most likely that they assimilated or at least some of them did I'm sure many of them died in the starving time or of accidents or illness. Um, But I'm sure a few of them made it into other tribes or in the area if they weren't all killed. Um, But it didn't seem like that was kind of the way of the tribes of the area to just like slaughter. Well, it wasn't like bustling, though, was it? Like you might have to walk... A couple miles down the road to even risk running into someone by accident. Yeah. Plus, I mean, after people are dying, there's only like, what, 20 to 50 people left. Right. So if you scatter, it's harder to to find all those people after that. Well, and after they moved um, 50 miles down the road from Croatoan to get away from the neighbors. If they did that. If they did that. Um, no, from Croatoan. Remember, remember when they were first going to settle? They like they had they some went to with Cro- the from Croatoan to Roanoke, yes. and they were going to go fifty miles upriver, I believe. Oh, that was the plan, but that was just something that John White knew of. It wasn't like they were supposed to do it while he was gone. Oh, so they weren't fifty miles away? No, okay, they were on Roanoke Island, and Cro- and Croatoan Island is close to to Roanoke. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think they probably did go there. At some point. To Croatoan Island? At some point for some reason. Yeah. I think that message was for Europeans to find. I think it was put there by Europeans. And I think that's what that indicated. Yeah, it was. The the main question is, does it indicate here's where he went? Or does it indicate this is what happened to us? The Croatan tribe came and and was slaughtering us. And we only got to write out Crow before I was killed (laughs) in the middle of my sentence. That the castle... Ah! <laughs> Basically. Um, I think... No, I, I don't... The, first of all, the the tribe was called the Croatan, right? Croatan. The Croatan tribe. I don't know why there's a difference, but there is. Croatoan and, and Croatan. And the island was named differently back then, too, right? It was Even back then, it was Croatoan and Croatan. As Croatan. far as I know. Okay, so in that case, you know... 
They didn't write but, Crow. But keep in mind, these are English people who are not very understanding to native ways. And maybe also they not just, educated themselves. Yeah, so maybe they not just with spelling just a normal word. Put them all in one group. They're the Croatoans. They live on Croatoan. Right. Yeah, I still feel like they. If you want to, why would you need to leave a message of these are who? This is who killed us. I don't know. Just carve all dead or whatever. That's what they do in zombie movies. Or carve the cross. Or carve the cross that says you were in distress. <laughs> Unless Thank like you. you forgot after he left. Like, oh shit, what oh, did he say oh, to carve? Oh, it was the fucking cross. <sighs> and I left the burner was on. Was it an X or was it crow? Was it a cross? Um. <laughs> Let's just throw this on there and hope they get the picture. Or, oh, you know what? We, we're sitting here assuming the CRO is an aborted Croatoan. Or Croatan? That's what a lot of people assume, yeah. What if this guy's like, hey, Steve, Steve, they said to leave a cross. He's like, all right, see? <laughs> oh, oh. No, Steve, get over here. All right, I'll, I'll sort it then. And they, you know, they just say, you know, they just leave. <laughs> Maybe. That was their cross. <laughs> we don't have time. We're in distress. Good old Steve. <laughs> yeah, so my thought is that some assimilated some probably die like like kind of a combination of a bunch of things is yeah. really it i think some definitely assimilated because it makes sense genetically if they did see fair-skinned fair-eyed uh native americans down the line yeah I, again i think there's any number of ways europeans get that genetic material sure know, into the but if it's even pool. a legend in the tribe mm -hmm. of like your yes. grandmother was a white woman or whatever, then that kind of leads. Yeah. And was that it. the same? A couple of theories came very fast. Was that the same tribe that like they said they, they, did they say they have some, had some European influence in their style of dress or anything? Yeah. They were influenced by English culture specifically. So probably in their styles of dress and building. There are also some present-day tribes folk with light gray eyes in the Heteris tribe. So you think assimilation? I... You think some of them tried to sail away? I think they might have partially assimilated. I mean, had a lot of help from neighbors to get through whatever hardships they were facing. Mm -hmm. Um then I think either another group or the same group, there was a misunderstanding or some shift suddenly. Um, I think, yeah, either they, I, I kind I want that stone to be real. Me too. I mean, it puts it's a punctuation mark on the story. Yeah. Um, and works as a timeline of events and such a, it's almost too heartbreakingly perfect to be true where it like kind of includes the events of, of, uh, White's account, you know? Right. You're like, oh, this is the, the girl that we met earlier in the story. Right. It's yes. It like, it, it almost puts too perfect an exclamation point on. Right. Everything. So it's like you're raised to be <clears throat> suspicious. Yeah. About these aspects of storytelling of like, no, there has to be a twist somewhere. That's where I would like, this is how I would have written it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the right. Roanoke Colony. This was a fascinating story. Mm -hmm. It was a pleasure to get into it. Thank you, Caroline. You're welcome. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we'll be right back with some news. Yes, we will. See you in a minute. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, 
Shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. It's time for Fear of the Final Frontier astronomers, astronomers, astronomers writing in papers for nature astronomy and astrobiology report that signs of what may be life have been discovered high in the toxic atmosphere of the planet Venus. What? Mm -hmm. Until now, few thought that the acidic, rocky planet had potential as a habitat for living creatures. However, that may be about to change as scientists have detected the chemical phosphine in the thick in the thick Venusian atmosphere, thanks to high-powered telescopes. After much analysis, they concluded that something living is the source of the chemical. I know nothing about phosphine, so I couldn't, I, I couldn't understand that part of the paper, but I did read that part. That's interesting. <laughs> so, so they think this couldn't be here unless uh, some kind of a light, life was, form produced it. That was the conclusion that they drew, yeah. Um, the New York Times quotes one of the paper's scientists, MIT scientist Sarah Seeger, as saying, This is an astonishing and out-of-the-blue finding. It will definitely fuel more research into the possibilities for life in Venus's atmosphere. One of the papers stated, The recent detection of phosphine in the middle atmosphere of Venus is so unexpected that it requires an exhaustive search for explanations of its origin. Wow. So we'll be sure to keep our listeners updated on this discovery. Very exciting. That's it for this episode of Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Uh, thank you for listening. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Ain't It Scary. And check out our website at ain'titscary.com. Please subscribe to the show and throw us a five-star review on iTunes. We will be forever grateful. See you next Tuesday. Show created by Sean McCabe and Carrie Ferrante. Music by Kyle Ryan. This has been a production of Longboy Media. Hey there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.